Empire podcast this week, we boldly go where no podcast has gone before and review Colin Farrell in Dead Man Down, Pedro Almodovar's I'm So Excited, and we talk to Ryan Johnson, the director of Brick and Looper, and David S. Goyer about Batman, Superman, and uh, Leonardo da Vinci. Well, what, you thought we were talking about Star Trek Into Darkness? No, 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 that's next week. Hello, Pod. I'm Helen O'Hara, and welcome to the Empire Podcast, the only movie podcast that can doodle a perfect circle and or invent a helicopter, even though it's only the 15th century. Uh, today, I'm joined on a very early Thursday morning by three hardy souls who, well, basically drew the short straws in the Who'll Be On The Podcast This Week ballot. Uh, first to be on the receiving end of my grunting uh, sleepily is Nick DeSemlin, a man with more air miles than the Starship Enterprise. Hello, Nick. Hi, Helen. I'm saving up to go to the Klingon homeworld. <laughs> Kronos, well, that's yeah. pretty close by. Oh, that's what it's called? Yes. Um, he's followed by someone who has been pigeonholed, you know, in previous podcasts as Empire's art house guru. Patently unfair to you, Phil. Uh, after all, you also enjoy films like Jack Reacher and Parental Guidance, as long as they're available in Mandarin so you can still enjoy subtitles. Hello, Phil Semlin. Hi, Helen. Anything to add? <laughs> yes. Probably best. And last but not least is the Wesley Crusher of our group, the irrepressible young whippersnapper who gets us out of a technical hole every week with just a wave of his sonic screwdriver. Wait, no, I think that's the wrong franchise. Anyway, it's the 12th Doctor, Ali Plum. Hello. Hello. I'm wearing a suit as well and there's a bow tie, uh, but I'm not saying where it is. I'm going to put it on my hair, I think, and that way I'll be eccentric. Bow ties are cool. Okay, as ever, you've been smuggling us our questions uh, via the medium of the internet, so let's take a few of those. Uh, First up, from at Quiz. Um, with I, uh, Iron Man 3 featuring some class henchman lines, what are your favourite lines from minor cast members in a movie? What do we think of this? I really like this question. Uh, the two that spring instantly to mind for me is the guy at the beginning of The Matrix who says the Juris My Diction line. I can't remember the exact <laughs> line. Do you remember there's a cop who says to Hugo Weaving, uh-huh. don't give me any of that Juris My Diction crap? And I yep. think that's his only line. And that's awesome. <laughs> that's been stuck in my head ever since 1999. And the other one is... Um, the obvious one, when Harry met Sally, um, uh-huh. Estelle Reiner, Rob Reiner's mum. I'll have what she's having. Exactly. That's a great one. How about you, Phil? That is a good one. I love anything Dennis Frieda does, and in, he has a great line in Get Shorty, which I, which I, maybe doesn't entirely adhere to the rules of the question, but mm. um, I think one of another character says to him, fuck you. Uh-huh. And he stops and he goes, no, fuck you, fuck ball. <laughs> Which I love because it's just it's the sweariest. You can't get any more swear words in a sentence. I don't think not in the sense of that length. In, anyway. in the proportion, proportionately, yeah. that's a lot of swear words in one sentence. Yeah. So yeah. he's neither really a henchman nor a minor character particularly. But I just kind of felt like swearing a little bit. Ah, at that he's, point. he's not the lead. So, it's fine. Yeah. Um, and uh, but I think often the problem is that the, some of the great henchmen don't have a lot of lines. So Mr. Joshua at Lethal Weapon, uh-huh. or Job, obviously pretty monosyllabic well, think about Shane Black what about um, I always forget his name but the guy who's currently in Sons of Anarchy mm. um, Ron Perlman no in uh, Last Boy Scout like that whole scene oh yeah is just incredible but I'm uh, thinking of characters that aren't necessarily named but get good lines we brought this up the other day when we were talking about Adam Sandler movies but Rob Schneider shouting you can do it um, <laughs> is yeah, I'm, I'm putting that in this in this question. That's my answer, so deal with it. Wow, Rob Schneider, 
praise for Rob Schneider. That may be a first on the podcast. Well I done. also thought of the hairdresser from The Rock, but I, he does not. Surely, <laughs> he's, not, he's not the answer to any question How involving do you the world. Great. What hair? does he say? He's got some. He doesn't call himself the Van Gogh of hair or something. <laughs> no, the, the, his main line is, "I don't care about any of this. What I care about is, are you happy with your hair?" <laughs> he is a good character, actually. That guy. He's memorable. Yeah. yeah, memorable is probably a, a better word than good in this yeah. case. Yeah. Um, I, I couldn't really think of any. I, I was I was immediately thinking of um, uh, Max, Miracle Max's wife in uh, The Princess Bride. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm not a witch, I'm your wife. And after what you just said, I'm not even sure I want to be that anymore. Very good. All that kind of stuff. Um, but she's possibly too major a character, so hey, who knows. I think it all depends on the script, really. If, um, if it's a minor character who's suddenly got a good line, it's probably because there's a really good script involved. Hence, you know, Shane Black coming up here and and William Goldman and mm-hmm. so on. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, next up, um, Graham Woods from Birmingham asks, what's the best band or musician you've discovered from their use in a movie soundtrack? This is a good question. Very good question. This is a great question. Okay, uh, can you... I, I mean, got it's it. a, <laughs> We've got no answers. <laughs> next question. Um, I, yeah, I'll just throw out their metric um, from the Scott Pilgrim soundtrack. Uh-huh. I kind of hadn't really heard of them before. Great Canadian band. Uh, now I've heard all their stuff. And... Uh, I've discovered a lot of bands from Sofia Coppola um, mm-hmm. soundtracks. I think Marie Antoinette. It's not a film I particularly like, but I love that soundtrack. Radio Department, and uh, gosh, Adam and the Ants. Windsor for the Derby. Windsor for the Derby is good. Yeah, yeah, great bands. I think one which is kind of an, you were obliged to mention in, in discussing this is I think a lot of us hadn't heard of the Shins until Garden State. True. And then Garden State not only championed it but kind of said that new slang was the. How does he describe it? Like Sean will change your life. Anthony yeah. Portman. The song will change your life. Uh, anyway. Did it change your life? It changed one of my afternoons. It changed <laughs> my CD buying preferences because I then went and bought the CD. I've got oh, to say, that wow. song didn't even change the duration of the time I was listening to it, <laughs> if I'm honest. But I love the shin subsequent to that. A lot of people are going to hate me for that because I know it's very popular. I have to thank the commitments for introducing me to soul music, really. Um, but, but I probably would have discovered it anyway, I hope. But, you know, I was only yeah. about 12, so it's okay not to have known much about it before that, I hope. You're from Ireland, aren't you? Like I the am. Soul. Well, we we are of... the the blacks of Europe, um, as as the film te- teaches us. Glad you said that. <laughs> I as I... the film teaches, I'm quoting there. I'm not, you know, <clears throat> being intentionally racist. Kind of. I've yeah, a little bit racist. I've seen it. I, I, you know, since seeing Iron Man three, I've obviously gone back over Eiffel sixty five's entire oeuvre. <laughs> you know. I haven't really. Well, Name no. another track. No, that they I, did I, apart I, from I, Blue I Brackets, Dabadi, Close Brackets. I'm really happy that I can't. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I kind of like the way it's used ironically in that film but I hate that track I actually yeah. asked Shane Black why did you choose Blue Dabba Dee Dabba Die and I was expecting a story of oh god it's my least favourite song of all time I just thought it would be yeah. hilarious or it reminds me of my sister or blah 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 I uh, went on iTunes and I, I found a song that came out in 1999 and that was the song so we played it <laughs> that's it yeah, and I'm that like was oh brilliant Shane and I genuinely thought he was a masterstroke because it made me burst out laughing when yeah, I heard it before the film had even started yeah but yeah iTunes 1999 that Blue, da da blee, blah blah blah. There are. There's another sub question, which is uh, tracks that you that wouldn't necessarily like, but sound really good in a movie. And one of those would be Watchmen. I thought had kind of a pretty first base soundtrack. Ali's putting all kinds of faces. You right, dude. I hate the soundtrack <laughs> to Watchmen. It's not brilliant, but I really enjoyed 99 Luftballoon mm. by is it Nina in that. I actually quite enjoyed that moment in the film. Um, call me weird the Jeff Buckley they use yes. hallelujah yes. during the sex scene made me want to eat my own fist so I now only have one fist because of that film it's true he has a hook on his other hand it's terrifying terrifying yeah that was pretty bad I'm um, going back to the original question um, the, the opening of Doug Lehman's Go I love mm. and Lion Rock's Fire Up the Sh- Sue Shot 
Sushi. I can't say that word. Sure shot. The Lion Rock track from that is great <laughs> by Justin Robertson. I've also written down Rodriguez I didn't really know about until Searching for until Sugar Searching Man. For Sugar yeah. Man. Like a lot of people. Heard maybe one of his tracks before, but that was great to discover. The Isley Brothers from the Out of Sight soundtrack. I hadn't really heard them before. They're great. Fair enough. I think we should take this opportunity very, very quickly to plug the massive feature that Phil and Nick and loads of other people have been compiling, uh, which is the movie soundtracks that defined a decade. There are so many different people who got involved with this, from Edgar Wright mm. to J.J. Abrams. Cameron Crowe. Everyone's Hans Zimmer, Danny Elfman. Danny Elfman. Part of this thing. We're just celebrating movie soundtracks on the site, and it's important that if you listen to this podcast, you go and check it out, because there is just a whole treasure trove of information there. And you can listen to the tracks as well. And I think it's important to point out that it, we, we set out not to do the greatest soundtracks of all time or the greatest soundtracks of each decade. Yeah. We tried to do something that was kind of, that embraced the full spectrum of the of the zeitgeist. We didn't want to have six John Williams in the top ten, basically. I think so we probably we, did we have six. Well, we did have six, <laughs> but you know, we spread them around a little bit through the decades. Exactly. All right. Um, uh, next question. At O'Reiner asks, uh, which unconventional sport would you like to see get a movie in the style of Rocky? Mine would be snooker. Now, this is something I actually kind of wrote a, a, a blog about on the site once, the fact that it really genuinely surprises me that there are no, gr- there are very few anyway, great British sporting movies. So there's Chariots of Fire. And apart from that, nailed on classics. I mean, Saturday, was it Saturday morning? Saturday night and Sunday morning? Saturday night, Sunday maybe? morning. But there's very, very little. And I feel like there's there's got to be some unmade great British sporting movies, sort of maybe a cricket movie somewhere. Croquet. Is there a, a croquet movie. I think yes. you mentioned This Sporting Life uh, yeah. with Richard Harris, the, the um, Lindsay Anderson Lindsay film Anderson, about rugby yeah. league. Yeah. What's the Nick Hornby film? But again, not a Nelson classic. Pitch, not, a, not a classic. It's fine. But do you know what I mean? The Americans have all of these great sporting movies about baseball and American football, which are, let's face it, unwatchable. 90-minute games played over a five-hour period. Um, and, it, and it genuinely surprises me that, that there aren't more great British films. It's interesting that actually baseball lends itself to movies much better than football does. Yeah. Um, I, couldn't, there really aren't, I don't know any films that have really depicted football particularly well. Oh, come on. Escape to Victory. I love Escape to Victory. Apart from Escape to Victory. <laughs> I'm not really into football. But but I, I don't I, love it because it's a great portrayal of, you know, football. Yeah, it's not the most football-y football movie ever. Sure, I just admittedly. Like, they, they, yeah. I just like Michael Caine trying to sort of run around with Pele and yeah. Zorzi Ardiles. Pele doing bicycle kicks over his head. You know? Yeah, it's interesting. There are no movies about... This isn't interesting at all, but there are, <laughs> there are no movies about squash. <laughs> I'm just going to put that out there. Like, there's a lot of there's a lot of movies about tennis. I can think of one movie about tennis. Yeah, but what um, about yeah. what about fives? What about you know racquetball? What about True. real tennis? I mean, there are a lot of people who are really clamouring for this shit. Real tennis would be an interesting one, actually. Let's pick a really obscure sport and say that. I mean, I would have said for this uh, roller derby, which I think is an incredibly exciting sport to watch. But of course, we do have whip it, so we're kind of covered for that in terms of unconventional sports. Um, we need chess boxing. We can all agree that chess needs to get a movie. boxing would be great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, there was a period where Will Ferrell and Ben Stiller <laughs> were kind of working their way through every sport, doing yeah. a comedy version of it. So, yeah. Maybe yeah. we need to get them back on that. Laser tag. You know, there's a movie. Quidditch. <laughs> I'm going back to your real tennis idea. All right. Okay. It's a the Reign of Henry VIII. Movie. Reign yes. of Henry VIII, a young kid, real talent coming through in the real tennis world. It's his breakthrough into court, meets a princess. You've said the title, real talent. That's the title. On court. Into court. Two different courts. And court. This is amazing. There's your tagline. 
Done. Court, court He's on the court and in the court. We're already in post-production. <laughs> <laughs> I should shut it down, sorry. Oh. But it was going well for a while. <laughs> no, it's gone well. It's gone well, well. Pro- probably I'll... best leave it there. Okay, uh, thank you very much for those. Uh, on We Blindly Stumble into our first interview. Uh, Ryan Johnson's one of the most original writer-directors around. He's the man behind the high school noir brick, the twisty-turny con artist thriller The Brothers Bloom, and last year's time travel triumph Looper, in which Bruce Willis actually turned up. Amazing. Uh, Johnson came into London a couple of weeks ago for a screening of Brick and Looper at the Prince Charles Cinema, and we couldn't resist the opportunity to drag him kicking and screaming into the pod booth to close the pod loop. Ali and I grilled him mercilessly. Okay, well, welcome to a special edition of the Empire Podcast. We are joined today by Ryan Johnson. Hello. Hello. How do you do? I'm wonderful. Thanks for having me here. <laughs> pleasure, pleasure. So um, we didn't have you in, I think, for Looper. I think we, we talked to you in New York. Yeah, I didn't come out to... I, I was really bummed, actually. We, they didn't end up bringing me out to the UK. What so, happened uh, with that? Uh, I don't know. Somebody <laughs> dropped the ball. It was, it was not either of us, so we're I cool. Know. Yeah, it's good. It's good. But um, <laughs> we very much enjoyed the film. We Thank you. We should say that, first of all. Um, so uh, so what are you doing these days? Oh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm writing. I'm, sp- uh-huh. I'm writing slash supposed to be writing, uh, <laughs> which I guess just means writing. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm just working on my next script. Okay. Yeah, and it's coming very slowly. But, right. But I'm really excited about it. I have have an idea I'm excited about and just plugging away on it, you know. Yeah. It, does it have a specific genre that you can tell us about? Yeah, it's it's um I, but it, it it's vaguely cyberpunk like kind Ooh. of, but okay. that's a little bit of a misdirect. It kind of that's the but not a purposeful misdirect. It's just the closest thing I can think of to mm. So it is sci-fi, but it's very 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 different than Looper. You're also here because uh, there was a special screening at the Prince Charles Yes, Cinema, yeah. Which we're big fans off both in the office and on the podcast honestly if I could spend my whole day every day there you can you can they have incredible (laughs) screenings every day and the seats are very comfortable and (laughs) people are very nice there and uh, and they have beer so uh, yeah it was um, I had never been to the Prince Charles but I'm a huge Huge, huge, huge fan and attender and and uh, of the New Beverly Cinema in Los Angeles, which is this classic revival cinema. It's basically the the Prince Charles, but in L.A. And um, Julia, who works at the New Beverly, had done the documentary about kind of the New Beverly, and a big chunk of the documentary was about the Prince Charles and about the idea that it's sort of the sister cinema to the New mm-hmm. Beverly. So I had seen Paul, who runs uh, who runs the place on uh, on that doc, and. And when I saw there was a screening uh, going on there, I actually got in touch with him because, oh, really? yeah, because I'm um, right now I'm in Paris. And so I was just like, look, I'll, I would love to see the cinema. I would, it sounds really cool. I, I'll happily take the train over and do a and a if that's something you'd be into. So, um, so I just came over and we did it. Uh, we did the other night and it was so much fun. And it, the people that came out were so incredibly cool. Mm-hmm. And um, we did a and a afterwards and, and, you never know what you're going to get with Q&As and it was maybe like the best Q&A I've ever done it's just all the questions were awesome and uh, and I didn't vomit on stage I didn't do something really stupid so <laughs> a good sign. that's a, that's a good that's a plus that's a rare good thing so So you're in Paris at the moment shouldn't you be in China Yeah I probably should be <laughs> but you know what <laughs> It's a very very good catch yeah yeah but uh but I'm in Paris <laughs> Yeah cuz you shot a short film there before with Oh years ago yeah Joe 
Gordon Levitt and I, we kind of, um, when we were making Brick, we kind of bonded over our love of Paris. And so when we wrapped shooting on Brick, you know, we had seen each other every single day for the past, whatever, three months. Mm-hmm. And we're just like, okay, we're going to take some time apart. Uh, we said, three months from now, let's meet up in Paris. And so we did it. We we both like met up in Paris three months later, and I brought a Super 8 camera, and I ended up shooting the short that Joe directed over there, which is like him and me and and Paris. It was it was a really really fun trip. Wow, it's seen- on it's online actually. The yeah. short you can find it. Yeah. Have you seen his uh, his feature? I have. It's great. Yeah. It's great, and it's uh, I can't wait for people to see it. It's. Um, yeah, it's 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 great in a way that you might not expect it to be great, if that makes sense. Its, it's name has changed a couple of times just to give people an idea of what we're talking about. It's called Don Juan or Don John, Don John, Don John, Don John. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's like a Don Juan story, but the guy's from Jersey, so it just calls himself <laughs> Don John. Yeah. Um, I mean, do you take credit for his current sort of career success? I take all the credits. All the credits. I'm just like, yeah. yeah, I should really should. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. No, I. I uh, no, quite the opposite. I feel incredibly lucky that I met Joe when I did, and I feel like you know, um, yeah, I, I feel like I, it's 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 the opposite. I feel like I I owe so much to working with that guy, you yeah. know. Um, but above all else, we're just you know, to have somebody that you meet and you work with is great, but also to meet someone who you remain friends with and really good friends for that long is is something special. Mm. Tell me, I mean, obviously Looper, you know, huge success financially around the world, as well as you know, critically got got huge amounts of acclaim. Mm. Um, did you did you feel like it was going to work when you made it? Was it was it something you were nervous about? Oh, terrified! Know? Yeah, I was really <laughs> petrified. Yeah, wow. but I think you always are. I, yeah. I would be. I would I would be more petrified if I was making something and I wasn't scared. <laughs> but you know, I think that means you're doing the wrong thing, yeah. probably. But. Uh, yeah, it, you're terrified when you're making it. But then there was there's also the feeling, um, although this not that this translates to the kind of success you're talking about, because um, you know you, you you can get done with something and feel incredibly proud with it, and then for whatever reason it doesn't connect with audiences yeah. or it doesn't do well or whatever. You kind of don't have any control over that element. Um, but I, I I did definitely feel uh, I, know, I felt really really proud of the film when it was done. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. Was on the must have been, I guess, but were there worries when you were making it, maybe halfway through shooting, that you went, "Crap, the time travel doesn't work." <laughs> yeah, well, not halfway through shooting, all the way through shooting. <laughs> not just the time travel, but every single element of it. You know, um, yeah, we, and it's it it always surprises you when you get in the edit room and uh, you put it all together and you realize you could have never predicted what is going to end up giving you trouble and what's going to end up not. Um, for instance, when we were shooting, like after I wrote the script, the, my big concern was the second half on the farm is that is the movie just going to grind to a halt. And um, once we got in the edit room, we ended up putting most of our work into the first half. It ended up being that... Uh, because of Emily and, and Pierce, the second half had like a heart and a soul, and at least in the context of the, I'm sure there, are, I'm sure there are people who would argue it grinds to a halt. I don't know, but I felt like for me that second half really worked and clicked the way I wanted to wanted it to in the narrative. And the first half we had to do a lot of compressing just because it felt like the story was taking a long time getting going. Yeah. Um, so stuff like that, you never you never can tell until it takes on a life of its own. Um, you can't predict what the issues are going to be. Yeah. Yeah. Talk, talk to us about paradoxes. Oh boy. <laughs> well, it's I don't know. It's funny. The um, you mean in terms of time travel and all that. So mm-hmm. um, 
I I don't know. I was thinking, I was thinking the other day about like I I don't know. I, I it was I was reading something and I I almost regret slightly regretted like putting that line in the diner where Bruce Willis says you know we're not going to talk about time travel because uh, then we'll just be here all day talking about it. And I some I, I just realized God was it a mistake putting that in just because it and this is probably just my fault for engaging with a lot of conversations online about it. Yeah. But I feel like that line gave maybe kind of gave permission for a lazy reading of the movie where you say oh he's saying the time travel in this movie doesn't make sense and he's telling us not to think about it whereas the truth is I spent two years sweating over every detail of the script getting a very solid system of you know it's time travel so it's a magical element and it makes sense within the framework of what I've created only but uh, time travel does not exist in real life but but I, I did kind of sweat blood making sure that my system, as, as, it, as it was, was airtight. And that line of Bruce's was more just saying, I'm not going to explain it to you. you know, yeah. If you want to dig into it, then you can. But I think it, it might have come across as me saying, yes, of course, this is all gobbledygook. Don't even think about it or pay attention to it, which is not what I was trying to say at all. For what it's worth, I yeah. noted that line, but I think a lot of people didn't view it as a is it Basil Exposition at the beginning of uh, Spy Shag Me, Austin Powers? Oh, yeah, that, that. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, do, I recommend you don't think about it. Yeah, I was worried that it was like that. But maybe that's... Again, this is probably just me. I should probably just stop reading the internet. <laughs> I, I was going to ask you, you're a, you're a director who doesn't, I wouldn't say live on the internet, but you're a presence on the internet. Yeah, you're, you're on uh, Twitter. Yeah. Obviously, if you're on a website. Is that both a blessing and a curse sometimes? Um, well, I guess so, but I think it's a blessing and a curse for all of us being on the internet, right? I mean, it's not specific to being a director and, <laughs> and all the stuff that's a blessing and a curse for everybody is, is it's the same thing, you know? It's a, you get wonderful stuff out of it, but it is a time suck and you, you read stuff that pumps you up or you read stuff that brings you down. I mean, it's, you know, um, but the, and and I don't know. I think it's something that we're uh, myself, like all of us, and we're. I'm trying to figure out how to integrate it into my life. It's this incredibly new thing, new in every sense of the word, and so um, and it's perpetually changing. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't know. I, I, but but uh, yeah. So 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 I guess uh, I guess yeah. It's a, it's definitely both a blessing and a curse. Yeah. yeah. I mostly love it though. I mostly think it's a blessing being able to directly interact with people about the movies. Um, you know, I think about when I, I think about like when I was young and a film fan. If my if people whose movies I was watching were accessible like that, it would have blown my mind. You know, um, and uh, so I don't know. That end of it's really cool. Yeah, Steve Martin. You could talk to Steve Martin. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. Who would you particularly have gone for? Uh, oh God! When I was in film school, uh, Sam Raimi or uh, Terry Gilliam. There's no way the Coen Brothers would have been on Twitter. <laughs> no, I suspect I they would not have. No now. way in hell. Yeah. Even in your fantasy, maybe. you can't no, imagine. I'm not, yeah, I'm blocking that out even in fantasy life, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it's Scorsese. He doesn't seem like a Twitter person. I can imagine him like with his BlackBerry. Like, what is this Twitter? How do I tweet? You know, I <laughs> but he's know. so fast. Like, he thinks and talks so fast. Yeah, maybe so it he, would suit him. If he got on Twitter, it would be dangerous. It would, you're like, yeah. you'd be one of those guys you can't follow because your feed is just all Scorsese <laughs> all the time. Just talking about yeah. movies on... Just yeah. explaining stuff. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> what TV shows are on your Netflix slash TiVo slash deleted appropriate? Uh, let's see. Well, I'm uh, I'm a big fan of this cooking show in the states called Chopped. 
Down to doubt you have it here. Yeah, check it's, now. Is it on Food Network? It's on the yeah. Food Network. Yeah, food it's network. a little addictive. Uh, so, all right. So, chopped. Uh, Game of Thrones. I love. I think it's tremendous. Um, I'm a big Doctor Who fan. I'm just. Oh, I love Doctor Who. And I. So I started with. Um, because I, I hadn't seen the show at all since I was a kid. And a, a friend of mine said, okay, here's what you do. You start with Matt Smith. You start with season five um, when Moffat kind of took it took it over. And, and so that's what I did. I started there and went forward. And then I backtracked back to Eccleson. And now I'm in the, the Tennant years. And I actually think Tennant is my favorite of the Doctors. I think he might be my favorite. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, they're all great. I'm, I'm potentially going on set on Friday. So oh, <laughs> you just blew it. You just blew it. <laughs> Uh, no, no, they're all they're all wonderful, and actually, yeah. I love all of them for different for different mm. reasons. But um, and to, I'm probably just saying that because I'm in the middle of watching all his stuff right now. <laughs> um, no, but I think Doctor Who is fan is just a tremendous sci-fi. I, I love it so much. It's a great yeah. show for ideas. I mean, they've yeah. always had yeah. big sci-fi ideas and big concepts yeah. being explored, even if the sh- sets were sometimes shonky and the no, monsters were rubber. I mean, it, even then, it it's was, all about the ideas. Yeah. yeah, absolutely, and the fact that. I don't know, and this this is another thing that I think is emblematic of terrific science fiction is that even when the idea is way out there, and even when it's a type of a episode where when they introduce the idea, it feels really goofy. <laughs> at like the you know at like the forty minute mark, you have a lump in your throat because of the con- human consequences this idea is bringing about, yeah. and it nearly every single episode gets me that way. And I think it's 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 fantastic. It's a great show. Wait, wait till you get the bad wolf. Huh? Oh no, I have. You I've have seen. A, I've seen right. Bad Wolf because that's because uh, that was was a, was that uh, Eccleston, right? Was that? Oh, the other Bad Wolf. Oh, there's another one oh, with boy. Rose. Yeah, yeah, no, no, that was uh, that was that was uh, that already You're happened. Confusing your doctors. No, I'm not the Rose and Tennant Bad Wolf Bay. Oh no no I was thinking of Eccles yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I, I have I've seen I've seen through the, name, the whole the name comes oh you've yes, seen the I've whole seen Rose. I've seen the whole Rose arc okay, yeah I'm fine. into um, the end on the beach basically yeah I yeah, yeah, yeah yeah I've seen that whole arc yeah that was heartbreaking no I just watched uh, Blink oh. so that's where I'm at that that's is a an amazing tremendous amazing one episode. oh my god it's so beautiful. And how about movies? What would you recommend at the moment? Anything you've seen recently? Uh, what is out there right now? I haven't been to a lot of current stuff. Um, I don't know when it's coming out, but we uh, we just rewatched. It was my second time seeing it. Sarah Polly's documentary um, "Stories We Tell," which is absolutely fantastic. Yeah. It's it's an amazing documentary about her family. Um, that's funny and surprising and just emotional and everything. It's it's great. Um, I think it's out in the US now. It's coming out later for us in the US. Yeah, I think it's not till May. I think it's actually it might not be till May in the US. It's out in Paris for some reason. Um, Paris yeah. is funny that way. I always find like, I lived there for a year, and yeah. you do get things that come out sort of three months early, and then other things that come out nine months late. It's like the Very best confusing. movie town in it the is. world. Yeah, uh, Upstream Color. I know everyone's been talking about it, so I'll bet I'll just pile on. And, um, <laughs> it's it's absolutely incredible. It's 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 kind of the movie that I think it's hard to imagine in terms of a movie to talk about it being top this year yeah yeah. We're, we're talking to him next week I think so. oh alright she's coming in yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Cool. I, d- I don't know how much time we have I don't want to chew oh, up too much of your time getting, yeah. we're getting to the end I think. Yeah. end quick, of the tape quick yeah. question jumping back to Doctor Who is there a chance you're a fan of and I'm the guy wearing the t-shirt which is always awkward yeah. of Community and therefore Inspector Space Time I've never seen Community I've been told it's great I've been told to watch it but if you're a Doctor Who fan they yeah. have a pastiche of 
of Doctor Who call Inspector Space, Space Time. Time. <laughs> um, so if you want to watch it for one reason, let it be that. All right, all right. They they go around in obviously a phone box, and okay, instead yeah. of you know an assistant, <laughs> it's a British Bobby. So. Wow. All right. Yeah, I gotta see it. Uh, yeah, that and Parks and Rec are like the two American shows that I've been recommended, but I haven't seen. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's always a list. There's so much TV. I know, I mean, so much to do? watch. Yeah. All right, well, Ryan Johnson, thank you very much. We look forward to having you back here thank uh, you when for you can talk me. about what you're doing next. Sure, yeah. All right. Uh, don't forget also that our Iron Man 3 spoiler podcast is also out now, in which we kick the film around, and Shane Black and Drew Pierce, the director and co-writer of the movie, drop in to talk all manner of spoilers. Can you dig it, if you will? You see, because that's the name of the track over the end credits. Yeah, never mind. It's enormous fun anyway, so do check it out if you want to hear more about the biggest film of the summer thus far, although perhaps not for much longer. Okay, it's movie news time now. What do you have for me, Ali? I have Frasier. He's in the building. He's in the Transformers 4 building. His real name is Kelsey Grammer. We all know that. But he'll be Frasier in my heart forever and ever. He is going to be the big human bad guy in Transformers 4, which is interesting. Hopefully Mm. he won't stumble into a series of incredibly massive Michael Bay-sized rakes. Will there be um, tossed salad and scrambled eggs? I hope he will toss some salad (laughs) at a robot and then the robot will die. I have no idea. But it's interesting because he is... The last time I saw him on screen was on 30 Rock when he did a Bond spoof, which I thought was very funny. Very funny. Season 6 of 30 Rock, check it out. He's had a a rough patch emotionally, personally, life-wise, and it's interesting to see him coming back to the blockbuster fold. The last time we saw him on the big, big, big screen, the IMAX screen, is X-Men The Last Stand, where he played Beast. And I personally thought was great. I loved the introduction of him when he's upside down on the on the ceiling and then the camera twists. Well done, Brett. Top work there. But unfortunately, he's kind of been away from the limelight. Here he is coming back. Uh, he is going to be the big human bad guy again. Can't emphasize that enough. He will not be inside. Maybe he won't so. be voicing a robot or inside <laughs> a robot suit. In case you're interested, he's going to be working as a counter-intelligence sort of chap who, guess what, is trying to harness their technology to make something bad happen. Counterintelligence, so spying, so 30 Rock after all. Oh my God. <gasps> so working. I mean, he's obviously on the small screen recently in, in Boss, which is his uh, his show about being mayor of, is it, I want to say Chicago, New York? New Chicago. York, Chicago. And uh, who's who's dealing with illness in his private life and, and, you know, professional difficulties in his professional life. So, uh, so yeah, anyway, if, you're a, if you are a Fraser or a more widely Kelsey Grammer fan, uh, Transformers 4 is the show to see. Who would have thought? Uh, Phil, what about you? I have Shakespearean tidings. Ah. There's a new adaptation of Macbeth in the works. Uh, there's been a few down the years. Orson Welles did one. There was mm-hmm. an Australian one uh, Sam six years ago with yep. Sam Worthington in a title role. This one also has an Australian connection. It's directed by Justin Kurtzel, who people may know from last year's terrifyingly bleak Snowtown, Mm -hmm. about the Snowtown murders outside of of Adelaide. And uh, he's probably a good fit for what's quite bloody material. He's got Michael Fassbender and Natalie Portman. It's a hell of a cast. Playing Macbeth and Lady Macbeth, uh, respectively. And um, this is going to be one to look out for. I think it's maintaining the Shakespearean language. I don't and the 11th century setting isn't that right and the setting crucially it's mm-hmm. not it's not doing a kind of a Richard III uh, transposing it to a modern or kind of recent 
time frame. It's going to be sticking to the original time frame. So you can expect cauldrons, witches. Um, I've not read the play, so I'm really <laughs> grasping at this point. Other bad things to happen. Um, and it'll be interesting. I think Portman has wanted to play Lady Macbeth for a while. Yeah. And uh, I think she's going to be really good. I mean, you saw in Black Swan, she can, she can plumb the darkness should we say that makes it sound like a plumber um, she can do that kind of dark psychological stuff and this role demands it more than any others yeah um, I, I, you notice how many roles in movies and scripts are, are inspired by that character oh yeah I think of um, Mystic River for instance the last scene of Mystic River there's a little element of Lady Macbeth these, these kind of femme, femme fatale type controlling powerful intelligent Machiavellian women Machiavellian women, women. Yeah. yeah so it's a great role for her obviously a great role for Fassbender will he grow a beard and punch doors we'll see well here's here's the interesting thing about that and, and this is my geeky side coming out uh, this means that after if, if he takes that role and makes the film that will mean both Professor X's and both Magneto's from the movies have played Macbeth either on stage or on screen Ian McKellen was apparently the, one of the greatest of the 20th century. Uh, Patrick Stewart did it a few years ago, also very good, saw that live. Uh, James McAvoy just did it in London. And uh, now Michael Fassbender. Crazy. That's, that's good insight. That reminds <laughs> me of, what, what did they say about Skyfall? It had all of the, was it King Lear's? Everyone, they'd all play King Lear. Um, Ray Fiennes, Roy oh. Kinnear. Judy Dench. Judy Dench. I wish you Ben Whishaw, no, Hamlet. it was Hamlet. Hamlet. Thank ben you. Whishaw did a great Hamlet. Hamlet. Ben yeah. Whishaw, exactly. And, uh, and um, yeah, Judy Dench. <laughs> Jump, well, off. she was actually Lady Macbeth to Ian McKellen's Macbeth. Perfect. Ooh. So there you go. Ooh. Jumping off from uh, Natalie Portman, just to give you a brief update with the whole Jane Got a Gun thing. Jane got yet another problem with casting, which is that Bradley Cooper has jumped ship. And it's just a bit sticky around them parts Uh, at least Michael Fassbender and Natalie Portman will still be working together they were meant to be working together on Jane Got a Gun they are now working together on Macbeth it's all very convoluted I wonder whether this film will ever come out but just so you know Bradley Cooper will no longer be getting a gun getting a gun so Lynn Ramsey Lynn Ramsey walked away from that film yeah and Gavin O'Connor stepped in and Gavin O'Connor stepped in there's there's a whole whole extra story to that Law was there and then he went you know it's all very complicated tune into a previous podcast about two or three ago to yeah. find out more about that. Uh, Nick, how about you? Hello. Uh, yes. Uh, so David Gordon Green is uh, gearing up for a film in which he wants Al Pacino to star. Ooh. And Al Pacino would be playing a uh, kind of a small town guy with a dark criminal past who is a locksmith, which is symbolic of the fact he's trying to find the key to put his life back together. Uh, I see this what they've the done there. Nonsense. Yeah. That's not important. What's important is that Al Pacino <laughs> would be playing a character called Manglehorn. Manglehorn. And I posit that this could be the greatest Al Pacino character name yet, if this comes <laughs> off. What, what's, it, what's it up against in the great character name states? Well, I checked IMDb, just went over it, and I've made a top three so far, so you can okay. tell me whether Manglehorn beats these. Jack Graham from 88 Minutes. Oh, yes, pretty good. beats that. Willie Bank from Ocean's 13. I don't think it beats that. No. I think it's better than that. Manglehorn? Willie Bank. Willie Bank, Bank. <laughs> Willie Bank or Willie Not Bank? It's a big question for Dean. I was thinking no about deal. something else. I prefer Willie Bank, that's great. And Tony Montana. This is a classic, but yeah. I think Manglehorn. I I kind of feel like Manglehorn beats it. What about Roger Serpico? <laughs> is it really Roger? No, it's not Frank, isn't it? Roger, no, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Nigel, Maybe, I think. yeah, Nigel uh, Trevor Trevor Serpico. Um, so that's exciting casting character name news okay. for me. 
Yeah. And of course, David Gordon Green, I mean, after a couple of maybe, you know, not hugely successful ones with uh, Your Highness and The Sitter, he's got Prince Avalanche coming up, which is the one with Paul Rudd um, and Emile Hirsch working as a on a kind of road litter clearance crew. It's some kind of under the radar indie indie movie a little bit, which maybe is back in his wheelhouse. So hopefully I'll have a bit more kind of success with that. But, you know, good to hear that he's... Yeah, Suspiria apparently is kind of caught up in what he... A quote from him: "Legal crap." So we don't know if that's going <laughs> to happen. I hate it when that happens. But that, that sounds—it's he's an interesting director, isn't he? He's one of those guys yeah. who everything he does seems very different to the previous things. And in the case of some of his comedies, that's that's very good. <laughs> I just want to say very quickly before we move, we move on, just because I was uh, quite excited to hear it, um, is the the news that Stuart Hazeldean, um, writer director, is writing the script for Agincourt. Uh, based on the Bernard Sharp novel and for director Michael Mann. Michael Mann making a movie by Agincourt. Let's all start practising the St Crispin's Day speech now. This is Bernard Cornwall who wrote Sharp. Bernard Cornwall. Did I just say Bernard Sharp? I'm a you monk. might. <laughs> yes. Yes. Bernard Sharp who wrote <laughs> Cornwall, uh, which was famously played by Sean Bond. Um, yes. Friends with Travis Sutherland. <laughs> So he wrote his novel was actually called Agincourt. Uh, I think they're going for Agincourt for the for the title of the movie, obviously because it's more well known. So anyway, good news for those fans of medieval warfare out there. I literally cannot conceive of what a Michael Mann film about the Battle of Agincourt might look like. It'll but be a bit blue, I'd say. Yeah, there'll be lots of arrows, lots and lots of arrows, kind of shooting over the sky. Lots of shots of Los Angeles. <laughs> yes. Okay. I guess Last of the Mohicans is the closest to to what it would resemble as in it's out, outdoors and not in LA yeah you're absolutely right that would be a good <laughs> you are absolutely good, right it's it is outdoors they outdoors. couldn't get they couldn't fit Don't the battle indoors yeah because <laughs> they couldn't get all those horses in but um it's a it's a it's a more English thing isn't it we still you know did it come up at the Olympic opening ceremony there's always a St Crispin's Day speech around the corner at a sporting event I think or they focus more on the Tempest because they didn't want to offend the French because you know the French lost right Just, anyone not clear the French lost the Battle of Agincourt and the Battle of Waterloo, which we have a station <laughs> named after. Yeah. Um, oh, well. OK, thank you very much, guys. Uh, one more interview before we move on to reviews. Uh, David S. Goyer has been the go-to guy for comic book movies ever since he wrote Blade back in 1998. And don't forget, Blade basically started the modern comic book era. Uh, since then, he's switched from Marvel to DC with great success, teaming with Christopher Nolan to revitalise Batman in the Dark Knight trilogy. And now he's repeating the trick with Superman from Man of Steel. But he's also turned TV producer with the compelling mystery series Da Vinci's Demons. And we spoke to him recently about bats, soups and uh, Leos. Well, uh, this is the Empire Podcast and welcome to our very special guest, uh, David Escoyer. Hello. Lovely to meet you. Um, uh, I've just been watching Da Vinci's Demons all afternoon in the office and calling it work. So thank you, Nice. first of all. Da Vinci, I've always thought he's either a time traveller or an alien because nothing else could quite explain some guy in the 15th century making machine guns and submarines and helicopters. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you've, you know, he's, you, you, you treat him as a, a human a, being. He's a bit anachronistic. Yeah. I mean, the other thing that's kind of incredible about him is, is everything, you know, that we know about him is largely based on these 6,000 notebook pages of his but at the time of his death he actually had about 13,000 wow. and so somewhere after his death um, he, he bequeathed those pages to one of his assistants at the time mm -hmm. and within a year 7,000 pages went missing so I'm just like well what else did he create in the oh. other 7,000 pages okay because it's I mean reasonable to extrapolate sure that there are other things he created yeah have you watched the Future Armor episode where you meet the robotic wooden 
Da Vinci. I, I have not. I'm sorry. Oh, but you must. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> but uh, and, and people don't believe this because I actually tapped uh, Jonathan Hickman, who's a comic book writer currently writing The Avengers, to write an episode for us for our second season. And he also wrote a kind of like reimagining of, of Leonardo da Vinci as, as sort of a part of S.H.I.E.L.D. And I hadn't read that when I had started mine and my writer's assistant said, dude, have you read this Hickman thing? And we read it and I already knew who Hickman was. And then I said, oh, we got to We got to get him on the show. Yeah. Otherwise he'd sue. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Sure. Sure. I, I don't know how many times I have to say, you know, this is a historical fantasy and, um, you know, nobody seemed to have that problem with Shakespeare and love. No. Uh, so I don't really, I don't really get it, you know? And, and like one reviewer was saying like, the Medici Palace doesn't have an octagonal staircase in it. And You're like, kidding. Oh, no. Oh, no. No, two have said that. And, I'm, and I said, yeah, I'm aware of that. But as it happens, we had this amazing castle called Margam Castle that had burnt down that had this, like, three-story octagonal staircase that they said you can shoot in and build your sets in. And I'm like, it's like, yeah, okay, I get it, you know. Anyway, that kind of stuff can be a little grating. It's like they're sucking up to Da Vinci, and he is truly dead. And I don't think anybody's going to But here's the other thing that's crazy, okay? So you've got this guy, Vasari, who wrote the most contemporary biography of him, uh, maybe 50 years or so uh, after he lived. And in Vasari's biography, it says he was over six feet tall, that he was a flamboyant dresser, that he wore a lot of pink, that he was a good swordsman. And I'm, I'm not making this up, that he could bend horseshoes with his bare hands and wrestled with bears, so so yeah <laughs> season finale, so, season but, I, finale. but i'm like if, if there's not some confabulation uh, in that i mean my the show is about da vinci but it's also about the myth of da vinci yeah mm. and it just i guess just it gets depends on your framework if you come out of comics everybody's like oh yeah no big deal you know <laughs> you can get away with it more yeah. you're probably gonna think i'm just asking questions like have you watched this have you read that but with laura haddock in the show i have to ask whether you'd watched in between us no, I I had never seen cast. anything with Laura ever before I cast her in the show. Pro- probably the best way because I mean, in between this is a great show, but I don't think it immediately makes you think cast her. Well, I've fantasy. been told I've been told that she was when she came in. I, I was this next girl's kind of known for comedy and whatever, and and she came in and she just blew us away in the audition. And so I think in a weird way, me being an American. I wasn't familiar with most of the actors and I, I think that was kind of good because I didn't have any preconceptions. And so some of these people, some, I remember my casting director, who's this sort of storied casting director in England. Her name's Priscilla John, she's Captain America, Thor. She mostly does movies. And, um, and she would be surprised sometimes at who I would react to because I didn't have the, the kind of burden. The baggage. Of, yeah, the, yeah. Yeah. The English baggage of knowing that, person x y and z as you say here had been you know in this show or that show so sometimes i would just say no i thought they were cool or 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 someone really celebrated would come in and i would say i thought they were ass you know (laughs) like sorry come the batch get out yeah yeah (laughs) although uh, weirdly last night coming into london drove up with tom riley and i got out of my car or the car that they had us in, and, and I stepped out first and literally bumped into Cumberbatch, who I've never met before, and I had a big sort of nerdgasm. And then then Tom got out and was like, oh, you know, Benedict. And I was like, do I wait around and have Tom introduce me, or should I just, like, shuffle off? So I just shuffled off. This, ha- this happens all the time. I mean, I'm always bumping into the queen. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I thought it was like, oh, there's Sherlock. Anyway. That's cool. <laughs> 
I uh, should ask or at least point out that this is shot in Wales. So yeah. if you're a British listener, which I'm guessing most, most of our listeners are, Lots, yeah. you should, you know, and watch it because it's shot in Wales. Florence is Wales. <laughs> yeah, that, that's an, a, not or a Wales very, is Florence. Yeah. It's, it's not an obvious connection. Well, no, of course not. <laughs> I mean, but not to, you know, it's funny. We, we, we did our premiere and press junket in Italy and they said, you know, would, why didn't you shoot it in Italy? And I said, talk to your film commission. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, it's, it's hard to get permits and stuff. It's hard to just move around in the traffic. Yeah. And so the three reasons we shot in the UK, UK the first reason was just great access to um, actors. Mm-hmm. You guys probably have the best, you know, grouping of actors in the world, you know, in a small area. And so we knew that even our secondary and tertiary roles could be these incredible RADA trained actors. There was that. The, the second one was got a lot of castles, a lot <laughs> of Roman that. ruins, stuff like that. We don't, you know, we talked about shooting this in Canada. There aren't any buildings over 200 years there. So, you know, everything would need to be sets. Mm-hmm. And then finally, uh, one of my producers, uh, uh, Julie Gardner, had sort of revived Doctor Who, you know, with Russell C. Davies mm-hmm. and Don Torchwood. So there was kind of an existing crew base, yeah. you know, that we could go into. So those are kind of the reasons. But we did second unit in Italy and we did like two or three weeks of plate photography mm-hmm. and so mapped some of that on. It's good to know we're keeping the EU going it's nice. <laughs> um, now I'm going to jump off from this Fine. to a conversation we were just having before the I was about to say cameras I'm going to say microphones now yeah. started not rolling but working. The trailer for Man of Steel the new one came out which was a good hefty two and a half minutes of yeah. footage. In what way were you part of the marketing or was it just the writing and then we're a tight knit group it's it's yeah. it's me and chris and zach and deb and then chuck roven who also worked on you know so I, I mean part of the marketing in that i would say the marketing began early on in that we decided not to call it superman that was very deliberate i was going to ask you about that, that was that was uh, chris and i man of steel and you know warner brothers said why and we started talking about it and we said hey we want a line of demarcation in the sand between kind of the old and the new we always knew we'd be using the Superman glyph or the shield, as we call it. Um, but Man of Steel was also supposed to represent our take, which was he's a man, but he's not made of flesh and blood. Metaphorically, mm. he's a man of steel. So that was sort of like the whole thing wrapped up in a nutshell. I mean, it didn't hurt the Dark Knight to not have the word Batman in the title. So Well, yeah. that was the other argument yeah. was, was um, you know, if you got the symbol... You know, that's enough. And it was another sort of subtle way. You know, you know, we think these things are important. I mean, they're they're really subtle in the way that they sort of work on the public's unconscious. But it's just a really subtle way, even kind of three years out, to say we're going to try to get you in the mindset of, that we're doing something different. And there are two locations, and I'm guessing here because I didn't write it, in the trailer that we see... I'm very intrigued by that. I probably can't comment on, but no, go ahead. Of course you can't. <laughs> but I'm just talking in comparison to the Superman we do know. I'm guessing there, there's a Fortress of Solitude type thing. There's lots of snow around, and there is obviously Krypton. Mm-hmm. When you were writing it, how aware were you of making sure it didn't feel too much like what we've already seen? When I was writing the descriptions, I mean, it's not like I set out and said, okay, this can't be like the Donner films. But when the movie comes out, the approach you'll see that it just it was just a totally different mm. approach and um and one of the things that you know and i briefly talked about this in some interview so i think it's okay it necessitated us kind of drilling down a lot more on the sort of 
Kryptonian culture and the flora and fauna and and the fiora. Uh, yes, yes. Although she came from the comic books. Well, that's what I was about to say. Yeah, Ursa. Yeah, I don't know why they changed the name. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Anyway. And, and, and initially, some, some lame press were saying, they should have called her Ursa. And I was like, dude, <laughs> we're just going back to, you know, what that, I think she was created in like 1959 or 63 or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Is she going to keep her man-hating ways? You'll, you'll have to see. <laughs> I think that one of the things that's, that Chris and I did from the first Batman Begins was we, we tried to approach everything, you know, from a from a, a relatable standpoint and we tried to say, okay, what are, what are the sort of canonical elements of Batman or Superman that we think we need to stick to, but at the same time, not get in, caught in the trap of like, well, we can't do that because it's never been done before. So one of the things that we did that would be sort of analogous is in the first Batman begins film, I, I decided that it would be really cool. I remember calling up DC and seeing if they were okay with this. If we burnt Wayne Manor down to the ground, because the audience just was like, oh, they would never do that, you know. But also, it worked for the story because Wayne Manor represented literally the the literal and figurative house that his father built, yeah. and so he was trying to live up to his father's legacy. And so we thought, you got to burn it down, and he can rebuild it. Um, and so I think that there's, you know, it's important sometimes not to just get too wrapped up in you know seventy odd years of sacred cows. Um, I, I just had a very quick question actually about, about specifically Batman Begins because I, I interviewed Joss Whedon recently mm -hmm. um, and he was talking about when he saw Batman Begins that, that he was blown away but he was he was kind of sitting there thinking wow we've made the great kind of deconstruction of the superhero movie before we've made in some ways the great superhero movie. Um, is that the way you sort of saw it at the time? I, I wish I could say yes, you know, but but no. I mean, we I, I, I just wanted to make the kind of Batman film that I always wanted to see. I mean, frankly, that's and and I just felt that that what we were doing was at odds, perhaps, with what had happened, you know, like in film and television with Batman, mm -hmm. but was much closer to the depiction of the way he'd been portrayed in comic books from. Even going back to the Denny O'Neill, you know, uh, Batman's, those were more serious than the Tim Burton films, yeah. you know. So, I, you know, maybe cinematically we were doing something revolutionary, but I didn't think we were in terms of, the, you know, how the, the comics character. portrayed them. Exactly. And same then with, with Superman, is this your... Possibly Superman? by extension. <laughs> Although it's... And we've said this a lot. Just because we did the Dark Knight trilogy doesn't mean we're going to apply the same nihilistic approach yeah. to superman because i think that was the only concern i mean basically there was you know great rejoicing throughout the land mm -hmm. when when you guys took on uh superman or uh, man of steel um but that was the only note of concern that anybody anybody sounded we, like, that oh, we do an emo superman yeah emo <laughs> superman <laughs> um and you're also working on godzilla is that right well i i mean i did i did what's called script doctoring right. on it uh as did just like 20 writers in Hollywood. It just, like everybody I know worked on that movie. So <laughs> Was that your bit? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, so I don't even know that I did enough to merit credit. I did, I did four weeks on it. Okay. I grew up, you know, eating, drinking, sleeping, all of this stuff. So the, the idea that I would 
do Blade movies and Batman movies and Superman movies and Godzilla and just, I mean, it was, I'm sort of hitting the greatest hits of everything that was in my room when I was 10, you know. Yeah. You got any posters left to hit? Or if you remember your walls at this Yeah, time. Linda Carter, Wonder Woman, probably. <laughs> I thought you were to say Doctor Who or something. <laughs> well, you know, one day I think it would be fun to do. I was a fan of the Tom Baker Doctor Who when I was mm-hmm. growing up. Um, and uh, it would be, I don't have any Americans written a Doctor Who? I wouldn't have thought so. It would be fun to write one. For sure, yeah. yeah. Okay, Stephen Moffat, if you're listening. We oh, I, well, and he's, I've never met him, but he's, he's obviously a genius. We'll just go for a walk outside and you'll, you'll bump into him. <laughs> Apparently. And well, I also ran into Matthew McFadden the last time I was in Soho on the street, which was funny too. I'm not hanging around the right places. Seriously, this yeah, is not, well. not good enough. Yeah, Soho's not a bad place because all the, all the post houses are there, and so everybody tends to do like ADR and stuff mm-hmm. in the area. We did once see George Lucas having lunch in a Wagamama's just down the street from our old office. Really? Yeah. That That's fun. I, I like Wagamama. I thought you better say I like George Lucas. And yeah, so. who's that? Who's <laughs> yeah. that guy? All right, well, David Goyer, thank you very, very much. Thank you. <laughs> Cheers. Ali, you and I extracted a promise from him that he would come back and talk to us about Man of Steel and actually give us some spoilers when he can. So uh, fingers crossed for that. Um, I consider that promise written in stone, don't you? Yes. Okay. Uh, Now it's time to shell out your hard-earned on this week's big releases. Now we're leaving Star Trek Into Darkness, a.k.a. the sequel to Star Trek, a.k.a. the 12th Star Trek movie, a.k.a. the second outing for young Kirk, Spock and co., a.k.a. the one where they go up against Benedict Cumberbatch. We're leaving that until next week because it's out next Thursday. In the meantime, this week, we're going to turn our attentions to uh, Friday's releases, uh, led by Dead Man Down, which is a revenge thriller starring Colin Farrell, Terence Howard, and reuniting with her Girl with the Dragon Tattoo director, Niels Arden Oplev, Numi Rapace. So um, what do we think of this? I'm going to start because I paid for this. I paid to see this in Paris. It was very exciting. There were lots of French subtitles. Um, and it's a really a very odd film. It's a very interesting film. It doesn't quite do what you expect it to do. So film starts off. Um, we see Ter- Terence Hard's uh, kind of drug dealer at work. We, we gradually come to focus on one of his henchmen, who's played by Colin Farrell. Um, and then we meet Colin Farrell's neighbour. They live in adjoining apartment buildings. And from her window, she can see his window. And uh, she basically invites him out on a date. Um, yeah, yeah, you know, bit of it. <laughs> Thank you, Holly, for that. <laughs> and it kind of, and she's got she's got scars on her face from a from a car accident. And it seems like, oh, this is a this is an unconventional, you know, love story revenge thriller. Except she's got more in her mind than just you know getting into Colin Farrell's pants. And uh, he's got a bit more going on than just being a henchman. And I kind of don't want to say anything more about the plot because even though that's only about sort of 15 minutes in, it all goes a bit unexpected. This seems to be happening a lot recently. Star Trek Into Darkness is a film we just can't discuss because there are so many twists and turns. Yeah. Iron Man 3 has got bucket loads of them too. Yeah. And even this, I thought, relatively minor thriller has got them all. Yeah, which is good. I mean, you know, the less kind of obvious, the better. Um, I think, I mean, the, the the plot for me was one of the great strengths of this. I think it's a, it's not 100% successful in how it kind of pulls it off. The, the tension isn't always there just because because they're so conf- uh, they're so concerned with kind of keeping the plot twisting and turning the whole way through the film you know sometimes the tension kind of drops off as a result um but you know good performances Colin Farrell gives really good tortured i find tortured or guilty that's Does that's he his actually wheelhouse. get tortured uh uh, yeah, well, no, not you know, in the tradition. Because if he no. does, I reckon he'd be the best at it. He would be really good at being tortured. Be really good at being <laughs> tortured and tortured at the same time. 
Daniel Craig's pretty good at being tortured. That's also fair. Yeah, he gives good wounded as well. But I would say in the wounded, guilty, tortured stakes, I would. He yeah, look, Colin Farrell. He looks like he's being tortured even when he's not actually being tortured. Daniel Craig, <laughs> he's got that look on his face. Like yeah, he does a bit. Like who's stabbing him from behind? Um, what was it called in France? This film. They actually just called it Dead Man Down, which is very disappointing. Oh. I was hoping for some ridiculous French name. Not Dead Hom. Um, <laughs> down. Omor. Down. <laughs> I. I it just, it's, a terribly, it's an amazingly generic title yes. which kind of in a weird way sort of puts me off I can't think of who can think of a great movie with the word dead in it apart from George Romero's film Steven Seagal's Half Past Dead in conclusion they're all three star apart from George Romero and Shaun of the Dead and sure enough this is three star <laughs> do your date noise again <laughs> I love that Next, we have Dragon, which is a slightly unconventional uh, martial arts thriller, I guess. Uh, Phil, what did you think of this? This is really good. Oh. It's, it's unusual. Um, it's, a, uh, it's a Chinese... It's kind of like half noir detective story, half, half martial arts, okay. wuxia movie. Okay. Right. Um, it stars Donnie, Donnie Yen, um, Ip Man, and he plays a papermaker in early 20th century <laughs> Sorry. I know he Sorry. doesn't just make paper is it like something? The Office but with uh, yeah he's basically kicking. he just basically works on false cap throughout the movie you just watch that happen he just lines it he plays shut up he plays a humble papermaker he's got a dark history if you think ah. about Viggo Mortensen in it, History of Violence, history of violence yeah. it's that kind of thing the Variety Review describes it as CSI Yunnan which I think is pretty good it's a detective who's <laughs> on his case Javert style and there's a lot of ass kicking basically so you know he, he's a guy that bad guys come into town he puts down his pad of false cap and he kills them without leaving a mark he's got skills in this business okay. so is there a bit of David Caruso is he kind of taking his sunglasses on and off and doing one liners about paper after he's killed someone uh, uh no <laughs> he doesn't have sunglasses and uh I don't know I don't get too heavy, don't get too caught up in the paper making side of things, um, but he it's well handled. The, mm-hmm. There's there's slow mos, but this, the fight sequences are terrifically put together. They're not too choppy, so you get to actually see things unfold. It's handled confidently. Um, if you're looking for a, a really strong martial arts movie, this is it. This is it, and one that touches on stationary if you're into that kind of thing. <laughs> and what did we give this? We gave this four stars. All right, uh, and also like this week we have a teen comedy gross art comedy I guess at 21 and over which Ali heroically went to see for us what did you think uh, you know the the thing I said about me eating my hand off right yeah I now have no hands oh of this man uh, you remember Project X hopefully not because that was another absolute fell out the back of someone's arse terrible film one stars this is also one stars uh, it is the story of three young'uns two of whom are 21 and one of whom is 20 and whose birthday is going to be the very next day. He also has an interview then. So, amazing. They all go out on the lash, hijinks ensue, shopping trolleys, prostitutes, all that kind of shenanigan. (laughs) And it is just mildly amusing on very rare occasions, but it's generally charmless and obnoxious and a little bit sickening and it makes you turn into a Daily Mail reader for just about 90 minutes where you go, oh, bloody kids are... It's crap. Do not watch it. The final word in our review, which I love when people end reviews like this, was avoid. You got. I walked past a poster on the tube station for this, and I saw the word the hang the words the hangover. What's it got to do with hangover? Written by the guys who wrote the hangover. Now the first hangover is pretty good. This is not pretty good. It's not pretty either or good. It's just. It's just. Yeah. Right, and that got how many stars? I'm guessing not many. 
as I say, one stars. Oof. Last to get the big treatment this week is the latest film from Spanish maestro Pedro Almodovar. Uh, I'm So Excited, as it's called in this country, is a riotous com- comedy set on a plane that runs into difficulties. Uh, is it the Spanish airplane? Well, probably not quite. Is it? This looks like... I haven't seen it, but yeah. looking at the trailer, and uh, it looks a little bit like sort of a, a kind of campish are you being served in the, in the air kind of thing is that what it is Cause it, yeah a little bit it's I mean it's it's kind of harking back if, you've, if you're familiar with your Almodovar's it's you know this is much less talk to her all about my mother bad education whatever much more his early stuff Woman on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown is probably the closest in his back catalogue to, to the feeling of this one um, especially because half the plane ends up drugged and unconscious which if you've seen uh, Women on the Verge you know will will immediately kind of strike a chord um, but basically yeah the, so the landing uh, the landing gear of this plane fails and it's all actually the fault of um, Antonio Banderas and Penelope Cruz who play baggage handlers which seems really unlikely they're it's very small roles yeah apparently. very very small roles yeah um, but uh, but yeah so the, the people on board are, are basically sort of facing almost certain death Um and uh, and and dealing with it in in all sorts of slightly odd ways. The skin I live in, I really enjoyed, and that's yeah. quite a. Um, that's a very dark. It's quite and a, a twisted film. I think this might be an effort. In some ways, this is kind of an antidote to that, I guess, because you know it's so uh, it's so far removed from that. So bit. it's quite frothy and sort of effervescent. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, he's he's he is calling back to to some of his favourite kind of actors in the past. Obviously, I've mentioned Banderas and, and uh, Cruz, both of whose careers he essentially kind of launched, certainly on on a world stage. Um, but also, you know, you've got Javier Camara, who who worked with him in in Talk to Her. He was he was also in um, The Skin I Live In and so on. So you know, he's got he's got his kind of his his troop around him. Um, but it's just it's it's kind of it's just a surprise to see him going back so much to his kind of bodier days and it's not as kind of daring and risky as it was when he first started doing this stuff because you know he's he, he, his first films came out you know immediately kind of post Franco and mm. I think maybe even under Franco so it was a it was a real shock to the system to see this kind of stuff in Spanish cinema whereas now you know mm. everybody's caught up I mean 21 and over you know is probably doing kind of almost a, a body or stuff so yeah so this is this is I mean it's still Almodovar it's still very witty it's still very fun and perky and good looking um, but this is a three star film not you mm. know, the kind of five star film we'd maybe expect from him so in the movie set on entirely on airplanes subgenre yeah better than snakes on a plane better than snakes on a plane maybe not as good as flight uh, plan <laughs> <laughs> passenger 57 so that's harsh I'm only kidding it's on a plane it's on a plane and it's got a lot of sex in it can yeah. we call it United 69. <laughs> <laughs> um, sure, why not? Let's not. It's, it's Let's a not. very bad taste. Let's but that's, not. I mean, it's an interesting point that maybe he's struggling to challenge and to uh, be confront as much these days when maybe. you've got stuff like, you know, audiences are... I mean, having said that, I mean, The Skin I Live In was was pretty challenging stuff to, to any right-thinking person. So, I, you know, I, th- I think he's still got some... He's still got some life in him. I think he was just going deliberately for something lighter and, and uh, less less uh, less bleak, I guess, this time around. So anyway, uh, three stars for I'm So Excited. Um, also this week is All Stars, which is a sort of tweeny step up, which got two stars from us. Um, and Disney nature documentary uh, Chimpanzee, which got three stars. So look out for both of those. 
And that's it for this week's Empire Podcast. Join us next week for more film-related fun when we'll be joined by Jeff Nichols, who's the writer-director of MUD, and those Star Trek bods when we'll be discussing Star Trek Into Darkness, which is out on Thursday. Uh, But until then, it's a fond farewell from Nick. Goodbye, everyone. uh, From Ali. And from Phil. (laughs) Goodbye. Now, if if you'll excuse us, we're off to investigate that giant flaming ball in the sky. It's got to be something. See you next week. (laughs) 